we've reached that bit between Christmas and New Year where I've just resorted to alcohol because, my God, I need it. I know it was only yesterday we last spoke, but it feels like it was six weeks ago. And it feels like five and a half of those weeks were spent watching Attack of the Clones. <laughs> okay. A couple of things I just want to get out of the gate straight away. Number one, this is still not a good film. Number two, though, I, th- I think I might have enjoyed this more than The Phantom Menace. No! <laughs> no! Oh, no, sorry, no, that's the no, next that, movie. That's, that's, that's tomorrow's film. That's tomorrow's film. Um, yeah, like, again, still not a good film. And... My God, there's some directing choices in here that we need to talk about. But I'll tell you what, I didn't find myself looking at my watch as much in this one as I did with The Phantom Menace. And I think I'm willing to make the case that it's a more cohesive narrative than The Phantom Menace. It makes, on on the whole, with a few very big missteps, it flows better as a film than Phantom Menace does. Because I think at its core, this is being a certain type of film. And I'm curious if you can, you will agree with me when I tell you what kind of film I think it's been. I'm stunned into silence because I fell asleep partway through and had to rewind the fucker to watch it again. In the film's defence, you are ill. But look, look, I'm in no no way saying this. I'm in no way saying this is a good film. This is still a terrible film. But, you know, it's it's often been the whole, which one is worse, The Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones? And look, for the longest time, I I have been of the opinion that Attack of the Clones is worse than Phantom Menace and it might well still be the case it might be my expectations going into this were so low that all it had to do was not shit itself and I consider <laughs> that success it was borderline there but it, it didn't do that I'm but, sorry Andy but I actually think you have to hand in your podcasting license now no I'm, I'm a man I, I can say these spicy takes and it's fine Oh, yeah, that's fine. I couldn't say that. That's true. God, no. Um, no, if you, if you said this, people would be coming for you. But I, as a man, and also dashing the faintest of hate, faintest of praise on uh, on George Lucas in this day and age, that, that, that's absolutely fine. If, if anything, uh, I just need to go and collect my neck beard and fedora and I'll be all set. I, I think this is a more overall cohesive story than The uh, Phantom Menace, which is a very low bar to clear. The kind of film I think this is trying to be is a spy thriller. I think at its core, Do you know this what? I've written thriller. spy thriller. Hmm. And I think it works as a spy thriller. I, I think on the whole, this works as a spy thriller of, of trying to uncover a conspiracy. A conspiracy that makes no goddamn sense. But it, I couldn't tell you what kind of a film The Phantom Menace is because I still do not know what kind of film The Phantom Menace is. But this, this is a spy thriller. So I was able to follow it. And by and large, I won't say enjoy it, but I will say, survive it. So, so there it's We've gotten to it at last, ladies and gentlemen. We are five episodes into this thing, and we finally reached a point of divergence. <laughs> I'm saying I hate it marginally less than Rachel does. But I wonder if part of that is I really struggle with uh, Anakin Skywalker in this film and his. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder if that just maybe hits slightly differently as a woman. I don't know. I really, I really feel for Hayden Christian who had to had to do this and Natalie Portman who also had to be there like the fact that they don't hate each other as human beings is a testament to themselves as actors yeah look to be clear the scenes with Anakin are painful to watch I I messaged you while I was watching this and I just said incel alert because that's the only way you can describe what Anakin is being in this film once again the dialogue is utterly cringe-inducing and oh my god George or whoever wrote those lines some, some this would have benefited so much from another pass from a competent screenwriter who can write good dialogue I mean what I find really interesting is at this point in her career Carrie Fisher was doing a lot of script doctoring and a lot of script writing and screenplay work and she would have been the right person to bring in as she was already part of that Star Wars family why the fuck was Carrie Fisher not involved here Um, maybe she's still pissed about the whole gold bikini god help me the person they needed to bring in on this and this was before we knew what an absolute shitty was but the person they needed to bring in to do uh, a pass over this script... Don't say it. No! No! (laughs) No, because it would still be rapey and creepy. It would just be funny rapey and creepy then. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying that's what it needed. (laughs) 
don't know. And I think, I, so objectively, thinking um, in the early noughties, Joss Whedon is the guy you'd bring in to do this, to spice this up, to make this fit the time and make it appealing to a younger audience. But that's, I think they should have brought Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher, to me, would have been the sensible choice, given her her role within Star Wars and the fact that she was very good at what she did. Um, I would also have accepted Tina Fey, but mm-hmm. she's a comedy writer, so they wouldn't have done that. So yeah, I get, I get George, Joss Whedon. <laughs> Joss Whedon is the one they should have... I'm just looking up the... who, who. So, so there was another person uh, credited as a screenwriter, uh, Jonathan Hales. Yeah, have you seen what, what else they... they've written? Yep. Have you seen yep. it? Have you seen it? Yep. It's the Scorpion King. That's that's, <laughs> that's that's a sign of quality right there. So I think this movie is the worst for the way it treats women, particularly. And I say that not the ones made in the 70s and 80s where there is only one woman and she's in a gold bikini but the way women are treated in this film are dread is is dreadful and we'll come on to why i think that and it's mainly anakin spoiler alert i think you may as well go into it now come on no no because i want to start at the beginning and just the relief i felt when i read the top line of the star wars crawl which mentioned the galactic senate because i was really worried about them after the last film that was my main takeaway was to worry about the galactic senate to be fair at least it didn't mention taxation and trade routes but speaking of the crawl it says in the crawl that uh, and, and I don't have it verbatim here, but effectively what it's saying is a number of systems are looking to leave the Republic. And this is putting a lot of pressure on the Jedi who are you know, unable to keep the peace. Uh, but it just says they want to leave. It doesn't say they're violently trying to succeed. It doesn't say they're actively engaged in conflict. It just says they no longer wish to be part of this um, Republic, which, let's face it, has become pretty corrupt and ineffective and is literally being run by a Sith Lord. And Jar Jar Binks. I think what they're setting up and what they're talking about would be really interesting for a book series. Uh, or an animated I... TV show? Yeah. Yeah. Not your lead blockbuster movie. And the time these were coming out, particularly like the 2001 to 2003 period, this is some golden franchise work that's happening here. You've got The Matrix. You've got the start of the Harry Potter franchise. You've got Lord of the Motherfucking Rings happening. And Star Wars is churning out this. I did feel that first shot, though, with the uh, with the Nubian ship landing, which is just... You're literally doing the same thing about, oh, Academy always has bodyguards pretending to be her. We know, we saw... Sort of- Phantom Menace. But not Kira um, Knightley. You notice Kira Knightley jumped right out that fucking way nice and quick, oh, she's, didn't she? She, she? She's busy off doing parts of the Caribbean at this time. Um, I, I got very heavy um, 9-11 vibes off of that opening sequence. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, but there was no fallout from it. And I like the fact they just kind of look at her and go, well, she's dead now, and just get up and walk off, and her body's just still laying there. Like, there's no, there's no gravitas to anything in this. I don't think it's clever enough to make a 9-11 reference, is my this point. This whole plot, though, to assassinate uh, Amidala. <laughs> I, I mean, throughout these films, we constantly have uh, Ian McDermott go, everything is proceeding as I had foreseen. Um, this plan of yours, though, uh, uh, Senator Palpatine, if, if, if I may, uh, it makes no goddamn sense. And, and in fact, it... <laughs> so, so, so let me get this straight. Y- you want to assassinate Amidala because she is going to do a vote to stop you forming an army um, but in hiring a bounty hunter who then subcontracts this to another bounty hunter and when they fail you try and have that bounty hunter killed or you kill that bounty hunter using a Kamino and Dart which then puts Obi-Wan Kenobi on the course to find you the amount of things which have to line up just right to get to the end point that they seem to be going to it it staggers belief yeah it's <clears throat> I also am not entirely sure why it's uh, Padme now that is still the you know she's not the the, the princess anymore she's not just queen. A, she, she was a queen like, an elected queen because that's a thing we have now apparently but a mm. child elected queen <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, oh, threads, pulling them threads again. Uh, but she's she's just a senator. She's one of many senators now, so I'm not... <sighs> oh, making my head hurt. I mean, I can get it. I, I, I take the point that apparently this is just Newt Gunray's got fucking sour grapes about what happened last time around. But why isn't he trying to also get uh, bloody um, Jar Jar and um, Obi-Wan assassinated? Because they're just as much a part of his downfall as Amidala was. <laughs> Right? Okay, on that note, 
I, what I will give this film credit for is Jar Jar is much better in this film as a yeah. bit part side character. And actually, they're a competent senator, I guess, is what we're being shown. I know they're obviously doing the wrong thing. We know well, they're that being they're manipulated. being manipulated. But they're all being manipulated, so they are on par. And I think, <laughs> I think this film or this trilogy wants to set up the Sith and the Jedi as some cat and mouse rivalry, like the Bourne Ultimatum series that was out around the same time. Or, or Tom and Jerry. Made. 007 and Blofeld Sherlock and Moriarty I feel that's what we're meant to take away is that whole kind of thwarting each other's grand scheme or whatever and I just don't get that at all it's it's bumbly at best Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it it really is just kind of absolute amateur hour bullshit and and the amount of plot contrivances which have to line up just right to, to get you to the point you want to be I, I don't have a huge problem with silly stuff in star wars films you know again it is it is star wars and, and i mean even things like bloody dex's diner which you know really just takes you out of it but i don't hate it that much it's like okay it's absolutely silly but it's pulpy and it, it's it's far from the most egregious thing in in this film but but when you get to you know obi-wan you know turning up on this this planet and it just so happens that 10 years ago some other jedi knight who we've never met or heard of before and is completely unconnected with anything but just randomly ordered a clone army and then you've got dooku saying firstly telling obi-wan oh i know it was a sith lord running the senate uh, and what have you and then it turns out he's working for for it's so confusing even all these years later again it's what 21 years since this film came out i still have a hard time trying to follow exactly what's going on with it. Do you know what? I thought it was because it's the 20 never memory of Decembermus and the fact that I have a cold. But I, I really struggle to follow some of this uh, through. And, you know, I can only imagine casual viewers or generic start. You know, it's not pre-internet. This must have been a nightmare to follow is all I'm saying. Um, yeah. And I think... I almost so I was like, oh, is this Jedi meant to be the new Count Dooku? Is that the reveal? Like, you know, I'm trying to like think yeah. in my brain, like, oh, is actually Count Dooku an ex? They're an ex Jedi. Did they think they died? That'd have been su- that'd have been such an easy small check, you know, scriptural change that this original Jedi died. Oh no, they're actually Count Dooku. Ta-da! Surprise! It's all a long. It's a long. It's a long form plan. Oh no, it wasn't. I mean, it's just- you, you, you're one of the easiest. Uh- fix here what have you when he turns on Kamina and they say Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn ordered this army give me that moment because then it's like wait excuse me what did he because that doesn't sound like the Obi-Wan we know and then we've got this question of did Obi-Wan actually uh, did Qui-Gon actually order this clone army or is this a lie is this more manipulation at, at least as a connection to a character I've heard of before not this Sifo Diaz who is just like who oh let has me guess ever, he was in a comic has there ever been any more Sifo Diaz I've never I, I do not remember Sifo Diaz look it's a Star Wars character so I'm sure there are several novels oh my god comic I bet book. there's an action figure I bet there's oh. an action figure here you go, Sifo Diaz. I'm, I know, I'm, I'm looking just reading it. I'm like... <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh... <laughs> Generic Jedi from the look of it. <sighs> Once again, when you're looking at this, it's really hard, I, th- I think, to separate good stuff that spun off from the film with this film itself. Yeah, Hayden Christensen, I have got a lot more time for Hayden Christensen, partly because I really... Well, I'll reserve judgment until tomorrow, but I, I always love him in Revenge of the Sith. But the moments we've had with him coming back in Obi-Wan and in um, uh, Ahsoka, and in addition, just uh, the, the characterization of Anakin that we saw throughout the Clone Wars did a huge amount to rehabilitate this character. Because this Obi-Wan right here, uh, this Anakin right here, is utterly insufferable. He's and- a problem. He's, he's like, a huge problem. If but, you were at a comic convention and someone was acting like that, you'd be talking to you'd be like, "Look, mate, I'm really sorry, but there's this guy. He's weird. He's causing like, it's uh, it's it's so uncomfortable. It is mm-hmm. so deeply uncomfortable in the way he's acting. And I wouldn't mind as much if that was the character they were building, and Padme was, you know, uh, not okay with this. But she seems uh, it's just oh, uh, um. But I, th- well, I feel we're I feel we're jumping ahead here, so. Why? Because it's so important we maintain some sort of cohesion in this mess. Okay. Well, well, no. Um, we we were talking about uh, um, 
So Anakin's a, a dick to Obi-Wan at the start. We see that right from the start. And I was like, oh, from memory, Obi-Wan's a bit self-righteous. I don't think he is. He's a master. He is his master. He is trying to train him. And Anakin is clearly fucking untrainable. Anakin should have been booted out of the Jedi Order for being an absolute asshole. My memory was like, oh, maybe, you know, when he's like fussing over the fact that he's about to go and see Padme for the first time in ages. Oh, but it's not the way I remember it at all. Something I think is a bigger problem in this whole movie is the way they jump too quickly between different things that are happening. So there's the sequence at the start with the, the bounty hunters and the assassination attempt. That really should have been reordered. We should have had Boba Fett and the, the other assassin be, before like them putting their prob you know that them putting their 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 plan together and exchanging their stuff Bef and then we should have jumped to the jedi arriving so we knew the jedi were coming we see a problem and that means when the jedi are arriving when anakin's saying i think this is really important blah 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 actually we know it is because we know there is a threat because we have seen the threat but because it's after that conversation it doesn't flow as well and it just they cut really quickly between like cross scenes which is just not a thing we do as much, or we still do, but not quite as quickly. You'd have condensed two or three of those scenes to make one section and then another section. And I think it would have flowed much better. I think it falls into the same trap, although this does it narratively structure. Um, the Ang Lee Hulk movie that came out in, was it 05? No, was it 05? Oh, it was about the same sort of time as Disorder for yeah, but that had a lot of similar quickly jumping between stories and they did that weird 360 shot stuff that didn't work. But it was like a weird micro product at the time. But jumping too quickly between these these story blocks actually makes it much harder to follow and it, it takes all the tension out. You know, there was no tension knowing the Jedi are coming from across the galaxy or wherever they are to Padme. To, you know, knowing that they're coming from a distance, to then seeing them prepare to kill her, to then them being there, it just you lose all that flow. I think, I think you could do some, I say micro recutting, but some re reshifting of some of those scenes and some blocking them together, and I think you'd have a much better film very quickly. I think the same thing happens when you're with Obi Wan and he arrives on the planet following uh, Jango Fett where it jumps too quickly and you don't get enough of what he's doing for it really to make any cohesive sense. I don't know if you felt it when you were watching it. It jumped really quickly from between thing to thing to thing and back again. I mean, I mean, the opening stuff on on, on Coruscant. I, I think. I mean, I mean, for one thing, it's not just fucking senators debating trade policy and the things. I, I thought the opening stuff on um, uh, on Coruscant flowed well enough uh, for, for what it is. My, my biggest issue of almost all of it, and, and this is. It's my issue with our film as a whole, I think, is the dialogue is just so utterly atrocious. And not just the dialogue, but also how it's been delivered. I remember seeing uh, a video with Adam Savage talking about the best way to appreciate the prequel films is to watch them in a different language with the subtitles off. Because visually, by and large, the films still stand up. And I was actually shocked. I remember when we were talking yesterday how I, my memory of Attack of the Clones is so much that it feels like it's shot in the green screen. I only felt that really in the final act. I didn't feel it as much in the first two bits. I know a lot of it is still in front of a green screen, but it wasn't as jarring and distracting. They still felt like they were located where they were. Uh, but um, but yeah, no, just, just, just watching through that opening sequence and, and you know... Uh, I like the chase. Well, the chase was great, and it, and it fits into what I was saying before, this being a spy thriller. There's been an assassination attempt, and our heroes have got to go and try and catch the assassin, and, you know, they, they meet up with... They find them in a seedy bar, uh, and then the assassin is killed by someone else, and, you know, that kind of carries the plot forward. That all works really well for me. Um, I, I, I did quite like the... Um, yeah, you know, the assumptions of the uh, the bounty hunter being a he, and then the I think he is a she, and uh, she is a changeling. Go, well, calm yourself down, there, mate. Assuming some pronouns there, but uh, this is two thousand two. That is, <laughs> it really is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, once again, though, this character, you know, it's kind of introduced there. I, I don't know if you recall back to the um, uh, Phantom Menace, but there was another bounty hunter that was kind of it was an action figure made of them. It was a woman with white skin and some sort of wild ponytail here. And they do appear in one shot in The Phantom Menace. And Best mate in I'm action sure figure they, then. 
well, that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure they're an action figure. But I, uh, once again, why aren't we using that character? Why have you brought in this new person alongside of Jango? I mean, why isn't Django Fett just doing this? He's a fucking bounty hunter. Do your own job, man. Okay, so he was <laughs> shit, right? He's. I know we always said Boba Fett's shit, but Django Fett's equally shit. Jango Fett, I would say, is less shit than Boba Fett. Although Boba Fett has more agency and does more in this film than he does in any of his previous appearances. <laughs> That's true. I mm. just... <laughs> We found the pinnacle bounty hunter. Did you? Did you really? Couldn't find a better one. Oh. <laughs> um, so, okay. The chase sequence is good. I think it's a good use of technology. It looks nice. I like, I, there was a bit of dialogue I actually liked in that as well when uh, they're talking. Um, but I do wish through this that they'd stop hammering home that Obi-Wan doesn't like space flight. We get it. We get it. He said in The Phantom Menace he didn't like being in space. Hmm. Which yeah. seems incorrect based on all the films we've seen but whatever um so i like coruscant as a set piece. once we leave pad once padme's assassination has failed i like coruscant uh, mm-hmm. but the the conversation after that where he is back talking to her as she's packing is diabolical where oh, he's just uh, bitching uh, uh, and whining about obi-wan yeah, I was going to say, this is really attractive to women, isn't it? Bitching and, and sulking how he is, isn't it? <laughs> I just, it's, oh, oh, it's, it's, it was, it made me angry that this was kind of deemed an okay, like, I don't feel any of this was him being a bad person or him on the path to being Darth Vader. I genuinely think this was deemed okay. That's how I'm well, interpreting it. No, 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 and I, th- I think that is the case. And, and I've seen people who will defend this film and defend this performance, saying, oh, you just don't like the, the fact that, uh, you know, George gave us a, a true vision of an awkward teenager. And it's like, no, this isn't an awkward teenager. I mean, I, I will give you this. This is, this is someone who is in a cult, very much in a cult, who has had zero interaction with women or... Why? You know, there are women in the Jedi Order, like... And yet, and yet, here we are. This, this is the character we are. But... but I mean, you we don't see any of them, and none of them talk to us on screen. You can just but take it as read. At any time that Anakin is speaking, it's fucking terrible. It's terrible dialogue, and it's terrible delivery. I'm not sure how else he could deliver that stuff. That's the problem. If he's not given any better direction, there is no way he can make that any better. Um, but just, he's creepy. He's creepy from the start. And there's a point where he randomly fucking just touches her naked shoulder. And I'm like, what the ever-loving fuck is this guy doing? Like... The fuck? What? And this is why this is the Anakin who should have been in the Phantom Menace when it would, you know, as a slave in that situation, I would be much more willing to forgive that level of just ineptitude and, you know, absolute blinkers. No, it wouldn't be okay, but I would be more willing to forgive it than I would be from a Jedi Padawan. Right, there's a line. (laughs) There is a line when he is talking to Padme as she's packing her weird suitcases with her weird clothes. And he says, I am a grown-up. And I'm just, (laughs) like... Ah! How... Just... But you're right. If that was in The Phantom Menace, if that was the portrayal of this angry... You know, he's got all these... And it could have been such a metaphor for, for teenagers and hormones and stuff, you know... And they could have done all the stuff that the X-Men were doing at exactly the same fucking time in cinema, by the way, a thousand times better. And I never, ever thought I'd say anything was good about the X-Men movies, but yet here I am. Um, you know, all those awkward feelings. He's 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 got all these powerful midichlorians and, you know, he's he doesn't know what to do with all this energy and the anger. And as a slave and you can see that you and that's why pod racing works for him because it's a space where he can let loose and you know that would have been that would have been good that would have been good cinema or could could have been good cinema and then and then we get on to fucking where she's going into hiding wearing the most elaborate fucking outfit i've ever seen for someone trying to look invisible and and you know inconspicuous and the her bodyguard and obi-wan have a conversation on the fucking train after they get off and the conversation is obi-wan says i'm worried about anakin doing something foolish and the bodyguard says i'm worried about her something doing more foolish what the fuck what fucking slut shaming bullshit women hating is that that line from that random dude we should have fucking shot him in a phantom menace uh, I, I think what he's referring to is her hooking up with Anakin. And in that sense, I agree with him. 
but it is not delivered in a way it makes it her fault is my annoyance mm. it makes it the agency is at this point all on her not to be not to allow him to do this when he is clearly a very predative and a creepy and aggressive person yeah he, he, he's definitely someone who I think at some point there would be a uh, <laughs> he'd be featured in, in a, a news report because some woman has gone missing and they want him to help with their inquiries Right, I'm trying to leave my anger about the two of them aside. I'm never going to talk about anything else in this damn movie. Well, tough, because there's there's something I need to talk about as well here at the moment. In in this film of space wizards and galactic war and robots and clones and Senator Palpatine and all of this sort of stuff, the single most unbelievable thing in this entire franchise is that Padme would find Anakin attractive and would fall in love with him based on what we see here I, I mean I'm choosing to believe he's doing some man tricks on her because that's the only way I can have it make sense and you know what if they came out with some media if they made a, if if that was included anywhere in Return of the Jedi or anything else if they retconned and added that in this movie would change dramatically for me because then it would be yes he was doing this on purpose or even if it was Senator Senator Palpa what's it fucking face controlling her to fall in love with him if this was all a fucking Jedi love potion making her do this do you know what that would fix a lot of it for me because it would it would make it make more sense because those entire all all those sequences on Naboo where he's trying to be charming or whatever he's trying to be yeah you know cutting up the apple there and then she kisses him it it doesn't work like that i just <laughs> oh and all the maladying oh why i know i know they say milady but just oh oh so not a fan of those moments if i'm honest um <laughs> but you know what if you cut all the anakin and padme stuff out except for the bit with his mum or the bit where they go to find his mum it's actually okay or well it's shorter, which would be a great fucking benefit to everyone. Yeah. Um, but if you cut out all that stuff, if it was Anakin takes Padme into hiding and we don't see them again until he has a nightmare about his mum, to me, that would be fine. If you took all that middle bit out of them getting to know each other. Um, let me stroke you. Hmm, let me cut up a pear for you. Obi-Wan would never let me do this. No, because it's fucking creepy Anakin he'd get the spray bottle out and say no no (laughs) what I do like um, is Kamino I really like the clone planet it gives me massive Y2K energy with all its uh, like have you got a word word of a day calendar in Y2K is what's popped up because that is literally the third time in as many days you've come up with Y2K no no it's because I was uh, doing a blog about it that's why Um, I see (laughs) but the aesthetic is and obviously we are watching media from that time period so you know it will Um, but that it has that kind of men in black kind of feel to it which came out again not you know um, that alien all the curves all the white the very blown out white Um, I really liked Camino and and the aliens they were very different looking aliens which obviously was achievable because it was all CG I actually other than the stupid fucking random Jedi no one's ever fucking heard of but don't worry we made an action figure for them and a Wikipedia page Um, I actually liked that bit with Obi-Wan Kenobi Mm -hmm. yeah this comes back to again what I was saying that the stuff of Obi Wan and also Obi- look, you and McGregor he, play, playing Jesus. his best G- Jesus Christ Jedi Knight and you know, superstar because um, we, we've all seen that meme of um, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan here and saying I, I, I bet you're too afraid to put up this picture of Jesus in your house and it's like yeah that's legit you um, and McGregor is clearly having a lot of fun playing Obi Wan and I'm here for it. Also, can we just we talk about a bit when Obi-Wan and Django kind of meet up? Which, again, Django, terrible bounty hunter. But I, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's that classic spy trope where you have the two spies who both know each other as a spy, but they can't openly accuse the other one in that moment. And there's so much just under the surface there when they're talking. I, I, I just love that moment. It's great. <laughs> and what? I, but to me, that was then completely ruined because, like, the next time we see them, like, obviously, he's like a son, go put my stuff in. In the car um, and that's not what he says but it's, that's very much what he's like pack the car son we're leaving um, and the next shot you see is Obi-Wan like sprinting out and they're like now shooting each other like there's there's no segue between that whatsoever it goes from go pack the go pack the van to now I'm having a laser sword and pew pew fight with a with a with a with a space Jesus on the launch pad 
It's actually quite a good fight, though, I will say. It is, and as I said earlier, it gives Boba Fett more things to do than he's done, had to do prior to this, so uh, that, that was good for him. <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 another bit I quite liked, all the stuff in the Jedi Temple that was not the Jedi Council dick-waving at each other, but the stuff in the library, sorry, the archives, and the stuff with the younglings. I actually quite liked seeing the wider Jedi world, like the bit that I thought we would be seeing with the prequels, to be honest, you know, if you told me you're making sequels about the Jedi, that's sort of what I thought I'd be seeing. Clearly, that's not what we got. But I quite liked those little glimpses mm. into a functioning society, the Jedi. Um, what do you say what... society? I say cult. Well, tomato, tomato. But I liked seeing Obi-Wan go through the archives and him talk to the younglings. And I thought that was really good. That, to me, was the Jedi order that I was expecting and I wanted to see. I didn't really think that the um, the archive scene, you know, the bit where he's sitting in the library saying, oh, I can't find this planet, and the librarian saying, well, if it's not in our archives, it doesn't exist. I don't think we actually needed that scene, to be perfectly honest. I don't see any no, reason I'm why you can just... I'm not saying we needed it. I'm not saying we needed it. I just quite liked it. Yeah, it could have mm. been cut, but I liked it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I found Mace Windu slightly less um, Samuel L. Jackson-y in this one. I mean, he is still very Samuel L. Jackson but you know there was at least some attempt at some character here as well also less of a Dick to Anakin in this one I noticed do you know what though I think there is absolutely no need for Samuel L. Mace Windu in this at all he does nothing in this set of films whatsoever that couldn't have been done by anyone else yeah no I, I, I agree with that what did you think of the uh, the first uh, well I suppose the only real space battle we get in here the sequence with uh, Obi-Wan uh, chasing Yango and Boba uh, in their fire sprayer stack craft which used to be called Slave 1 but apparently it isn't anymore funny how we're okay with actual slaves in the Star Wars universe but we can't call the ship Slave 1 because that's a line we can't cross apparently I I actually really liked it it was slightly reminiscent of the of the one in the empire strikes back which i liked um i'd completely forgotten its existence i really like the ion the ion torpedoes he uses or the the, the, the seismic ion, charges seismic charges that's it i really like those i thought they were nicely done um they had a nice i i liked the audio design to them visually i think they worked really nicely i really like obi-wan's little ship as well mm-hmm yeah, it's great. I, I mean, with those seismic charges, once again, small spoiler alert for season two of The Mandalorian, but when Boba Fett shows up in that and he fires off his seismic charges, and I remember everyone losing their shit for that, that sound effect were back compared to, you know, where we had been previously. That was just absolutely amazing. So, um, and it was just great seeing it. It's a, it's a great little sequence, a uh, great little space battle, uh, and Obi-Wan showing that even though he doesn't like flying, he's actually pretty good at it. <laughs> Exactly. No, I really liked that. I thought it was good. But again, it got cut in half because we fucked off somewhere else and came back to it. I think mm-hmm. if it, if I could have, I think I'd like it even more if I could watch it as one consistent piece of yeah media. Um, but no, I think I actually think the Obi Wan stuff is is a highlight in this film. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the Tatooine stuff? Uh, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. Well, it does have one of the best bits in the film. It was a bit of music when he's uh, where he does Jewel of the Fates when he's driving off along the sunset off to go and hunt down the killers of his mother. I actually really liked the sequence on Tatooine. Again, it got cut in half to go off somewhere else. But if that was one solid, because there was a mon- we cut a montage in half to have the other half of the montage later. Um, <laughs> but I actually think it was slightly oversaturated but it's, that's very of the time in the stylistic terms i loved him going to all the different places um I, I i liked it i thought it was the most emotional bit of the movie um i didn't feel any emotion because it's like watching cardboard get wet acting um but i think it is i think the music gives it the emotional gravitas oh absolutely you know without the music that doesn't have any weight there um i, I mean okay so- he visits Watto again. Is, is this uh, is this less problematic than his appearance in The Phantom Menace or is it more problematic? I really cannot tell. Um, I think it's about on par, to be honest. Mm. I think we could have done without that completely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a callback we could have done without. Um, I think we, we could we, have equally had him and Padme walking towards the very famous silhouette um, on Tatooine of, 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 the, of the Skywalker house, ranch, whatever, um, and him saying, Watto told us to, to, 
you know, come here. Or we could have had a nice distance shot, you know, one of those nice uh, wide shots that look really good in this film and the prequels um, of him talking to, to Watto um, uh, in Moss Eisley. You know, we could have had quite an interesting, mm-hmm. we could have done something more cinematically interesting than just give another racist stereotype. But I actually don't think they can help themselves. Mm, that's fair. Uh, so, yeah, we, uh, once again, just making the universe a bit smaller, we see, uh, uh, we meet uh, Owen and Baru. Um, uh, which, which, you know, it was a great inclusion there, uh, I, I think. And also this, this idea that, you know, Shmi was brought from Watto and then, I don't know how I feel about that. Someone bought her and then married her. I mean, does that, that feels a little well, bit coercive, to be honest. he fell in love with her. Yeah. Did he fall in love before or after he bought her? I mean, I think I feel I feel Thomas Jefferson might have some thoughts on this. I I can't. I'm not. I'm not even dipping my toe in that that whole ethical, moral mess that they're just glossing over. So we're also going to gloss over it. I've decided. Oh, they okay, we, we, we're it. not touching upon slavery in the Star Wars universe again. Uh, no, <laughs> we are. We are not the people to talk about that. But then we have a revelation that she was taken by some Tuscan raiders. Um, no, no. Before sat- that, before that, I have a question. Before okay. we get on to the to the the journey that we go on, because I quite like that bit. Okay, C three PO has been living in the Skywalker Ranch for some years. How come in A New Hope he doesn't recognise where he's lived before for a good period of time? I mean, do you do you actually want the answer to that? Yes. Will they wipe his memory at the end of Revenge of the Sith? Both of them? No, just his. And R2 doesn't want to point out that they've been there before at any point. Apparently R2 is not a snitch. R2 is here for the drama and will just go along for the ride. C-3PO is his most insufferable in this film. This is the film... Oh, he's I... horrible in this film. Yeah. All of the good things we said about C-3PO during the original trilogy are completely undone in this film. I think it this is, is why I yeah. didn't like C-3PO, is this film. Possibly, yeah, because he is so insufferable and just such a pain in the ass and I do not know what was going through either Anthony Daniels or George Lucas's head when they wrote 3PO like this in this film I'm, I'm, I'm sat here shaking my head I don't know okay. it really undid all the goodwill I had towards C3PO that had been built up over the last three movies or the first three movies yeah it's it just just not good at all um, can, can, we, can we talk about going and murdering the, t- uh, the sand people and not just the men but the women and the children also because they were yeah, animals we can, we, and we I can, slaughtered can, them like animals we can talk about that absolutely <laughs> I, I do really enjoy the sequence though when he goes off to get you know when he, when he hears everyone. about this you enjoy the sequence when he murders everyone no if you let me finish thank you very much <laughs> I mean, I do enjoy that moment as well. But, you know, everything leading up to that as well, you know, once he hears it all, he just kind of like calmly goes off, gets on his speed and he goes. I like just the visuals of him riding along uh, against the setting suns with that music. The music's amazing. You know, stopping to ask the sand people, uh, the, uh, the Jawas for directions because, you know. I like that shot. That shot's beautiful where you see inside mm-hmm. everything. Beautiful. No notes. Yeah, that's all great. Uh, and I even like, you know, when he, when he gets there and he kind of finds his mother, you know, I, I like that they have that moment to, to reconnect and she says, you know, oh, you're so handsome. And, you know, I, I think um, the person playing Shmi is doing a fantastic job in that moment. Uh, and to be perfectly fair, Hayden Christensen as well. In, in that moment, I think he is doing some of his best, best acting in this film. So do you know because- what? I would love to know, because there's a couple of scenes where there is some actually quite good acting in this. I always wonder if they were done by a different unit director and not George Lucas. Possibly, possibly. There's just there's a couple of scenes, this one particularly, where there is some good performances and it is so contrast to the rest of the film's performances. It feels like it cannot be the same person. But uh, but after that, when she dies, dies in his arms, uh, I mean, I, I think that moment is entirely warranted in that narratively speaking what he does it it feels like that is what this character this Anakin Skywalker would do in that moment uh, and, and I think also the way he does it I mean we know he has to become Darth Vader at some point we have to see anger is something that is part of his being and and I think the way they handle it in this moment and it's done silently you know he's, he's not there spouting monologues and saying you murdered her I'm going to kill you he's not going no it's silent and, and I think it, it fits to the character uh it's a weird choice that they went and got some archive uh, dialogue from uh, Liam Neeson going, Anakin! Anakin! <laughs> yeah, the, what uh... the fuck was that about? I was like, have I imagined this? <laughs> um, 
But then the, the moment when uh, he's back at the ranch and talking to Padme and, you know, he, he's trying to focus on just fixing it. I, I liked that characterization, that moment. That fear felt authentic and I, I feel... I just wish there was more of it. Yeah, no, me too. Absolutely. Throughout the series that he'd... he'd I love the idea that, as you say, he's got this kind of connection to, to rebuilding things or to fixing things that are broken. And it'd be lovely if we just saw him doing that occasionally. Like Bane knitting in The Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight yeah. Returns. <laughs> um, but did you, that kind of just that little that little subtle hit. There's no subtlety in this fucking movie, but that's that's what it would have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. Uh, I mean I mean that's my kind kind of thoughts on on Tatooine. Obviously Obi Wan then through contrivances of plot has to call uh, Anakin to get him to come along here, uh, and on off he goes. And and that for me is when the, the good parts of the film kind of stop. The stuff with Anakin and Padme on Geonosis, when it basically just devolves into a computer game, um, uh, uh, not quite. I, I do quite like the moment with Obi Wan and Dooku when they're having a conversation, and you know, because it's Christopher Lee. I mean, what's not to love about Christopher Lee? <laughs> I would have loved that much more if we'd spent literally any time with Count Dooku beforehand, or there was any mm. real connection. As I said, if Count Dooku had been the the person that had made the original order for the clone army that would have cinched together so nicely yeah. that would have really pulled it into something and i think you're right it's a nice scene you know uh, it feels weird to throw qui-gon Jin in there though just be like oh yeah well i was his master and i know he'd have joined me on this side and it, it was just a bit like oh okay but we got no hint of that because we got no character development for for qui-gon Jin in the first but, one but it he- also comes back to if if, if if it transpired that qui-gon was the one or at least stated as the one who ordered the clone army and then you have this here it has obi-wan then start questioning what he knows about qui-gon and the jedi order which again would have been a far more interesting answer than the one we actually got or didn't yeah. get as the case actually is <laughs> Um, no, I like that. I don't mind the 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 bit in the factory. I think it's silly action adventure kid movie stuff. That's that's what I expect to see in Star Wars. To be honest, I, I mean, I just kept thinking Spy Kids 3D. That's that's what I was getting the vibe off it. I don't mind silly adventures, but this just felt like the back end of a computer game. It's that moment in Galaxy Quest, isn't it, when they have to to get through the innards of the ship and they go, "What the hell is this?" I think it could have happily existed without it as a film um i thought the c-3po head switch thing could have been a little bit funny if i didn't hate c-3po with every fiber of my being at no, this point no i, I don't this think movie. i don't think this worked the, the, the head swapping thing with 3po that that whole interaction everything with 3po from the moment they leave tatooine for you isn't it it's just burn it's ash well, i mean he's making puns as he goes along there you know um Going along, go. Oh, it's such a drag. Oh, I'm quite besides myself. Uh, it, it's die, Jedi dogs. I just do not know what was going through their mind. It, it feels like it was done for a bet. That, that, that whole sequence. I mean, I, for, for me, I, I feel it should be they land on Tatooine, get captured straight away. Just, just, just skip the whole computer game stage. Uh, we get the uh, the arena moment uh, with with the sexy top. Um, oh yes, yes. <laughs> Better make her sexy. We've put her in these fucking awful, frumpy, ridiculous outfits all the way through. But now, now is the moment she needs to be sexy. Now we've chained her up. I love the fact that the cat, uh, the cat monster as well, managed to cut it in just the right way to make it a crop top. <laughs> of course, and no blood. Despite the fact there is clearly blood when she gets cut, there is then no blood, no blood anywhere. Um, I don't hate the arena sequence. I like the monsters that they, you know, the the, the monsters that are fighting. It felt very in keeping. Thinking of like the the Rancor pit in in Return of the Jedi and the Sarlacc pit in Empire. Uh, you know, it it feels. It feels like a Star Warsy fantasy thing to exist, if that makes sense. Um, the arena, I don't mind, but what I don't like is the big Jedi battle which follows. Oh, which... I've got so many notes. Oh, good, so oh, good, notes. because because this on, is on. the moment. Let me get my uh, let me get my little notepad out here that I've got ready. At home. ready? Oh, okay. What the fuck are the Jedi? Why the fuck are they in charge? Who made them in charge? Their shit. I mean, basically, yes. But before we even get to that, just from a technical point of view, this is the bit I think, where, when I think that this film feels like no one's physically there and it's all really bad green screen, it's oh, this yeah. sequence. 
It's it is this. It's 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 all the stuff of a Jedi because they're standing there, and I'm guessing they're all standing isolated, waving a stick around, and then they have to digitally put all the droids and everything else in there. None of no one in this sequence feels like they're actually there. Even when you got Padme jumping onto the um, the horn monster and Anakin on the uh, the sled behind her, it, it just feels like really bad blue screen, which is exactly what it is. It, it is utterly atrocious. This, this entire sequence, it just drags. It feels like a waste of time, and it just shows the Jedi are, as you say, utterly, utterly incompetent and and really. What's a shame. <laughs> is at the same time this was happening, this entire stadium that they didn't bother to build, it's all computer generated. And at the same time, you've got the Lord of the Rings team making helms fucking deep. So it's not as if we're at a point where, oh no, we don't make practical effects anymore. You're not talking the Avengers in 2012 where it is just not the done thing to make practical miniature sets anymore. That is still very much a thing that happens in Hollywood and they've opted not to do that for this and I think that is a massive, I think you're right, it makes it airless, it makes people float weirdly um, and it just, it doesn't work and I don't think you could even go back and redo it because there's no practical effects underneath to improve and I think that's a problem with the the prequels in general you can you can fiddle around and do stuff when there's a practical base effect behind and you can remaster stuff but when it's all cg that's much harder to i mean do. i think the arena was a I, I i think there was a miniature built or a bigature as it were in in terms of that but then i think what they then did is instead of what they did in lord of the rings where they built sections of that for them to film up against this was just entirely done in front of a blue screen and i mean you're right it's when you have all these other things going on as well it's it's far less distracting when the clones arrive and when we get just the battle stuff that that feels a lot less distracting and i mean amateurish i suppose but just the entire sequence with the jedi in the arena it just looks it just looks like a bad computer game it really does look like something out of a bad computer game from the early 2000s I, I cannot believe this is an ancient order that have existed for millennia and worked together because they're all just kind of dumped there, as you say, waving their lights over. There's no formation. We don't get to see the Jedi doing anything cool. And even when they run into the droids, they all look stupid because they've got their lightsabers up in the air. Also, every, every, every lightsaber battle up until this point has had some emotional weight and resonance behind it. You know, e- Even the... Uh... Uh, the one in the Phantom Menace we spoke about yesterday, where okay, it doesn't have the same emotional impact and weight that we'd had in the original trilogy, but still, with that music, it was an intimate affair between the three of them. And and well, there's no intimacy. Was... That is the word. Exactly. There is no yeah. intimacy in this at all. It's a big mm-hmm. digital arena with digital puppets doing digital things, and it just, I just, it just doesn't work. I'm it. it I'm going, to, I'm going to send you a, a picture, which obviously is, is great for all of you listening along at home, but I'm sending you this image, okay? And I think this sums up this sequence at all. If, if you could uh, describe what you see, I've sent it to you on Facebook, but, but tell everyone, what are you seeing there? So you know that very derogatory, very famous clip of the kid waving around the broom? Yes. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, why are they all dressed like Tatooine farmers. So the image I've sent across to Rachel here is is a behind the scenes shot from uh, the the sequence. And what you've got is a sandy ground and just a massive blue screen up behind them and they're just charging. And it looks like, I mean, it looks like they're running out of target after just buying a load of plastic lightsabers. I I think this is, is perhaps the biggest challenge that the actors would have had in this is you can't react to the environment around you you can't react to these things uh this this setting and this scene because it doesn't physically exist uh if you ever get a chance to see the behind the scenes for making of the hobbit and you have a moment in there where um, ian mckellen starts crying because you know this is a film that was done against green screen by and large and you know there was nothing real and he's you know it's hurting his craft because he can't react to things which aren't physically there you know and it's, it's a huge juxtaposition to what he had when he did Lord of the Rings. And I think that's basically what you've got here as well. It's, you, you can't blame the actors for not being able to react to stuff, which they don't even know what it's going to look like because it won't have existed until six months down the line when we got into the post studio. Attack of the Clones, in some ways, is really, well, it's a really important film for cinema. It was the first blockbuster to be entirely shot digitally after The Phantom Menace had the first digitally shot sequence or whatever it was with in, in the forest. And this was the first film to be shot digitally. And, you know, that's, 
the first, well, major blockbuster film to be shot entirely digitally. And, you know, that is such a turning point for digital for film creation and we would not be filmmakers Andy if that had not happened because well I think it's very unlikely we'd be filmmakers because access to things would be so difficult you know stop sending me pictures of sad actors on sad fucking green screen it looks like do you know what it looks like actually it looks like a 1960s um Star Trek episode where that How is the planet you? that they're How on. dare you besmirch Star Trek like that? How <laughs> dare <that's>, you? <laughs> but that is what it looks like, though. It looks oh, just. Uh, oh, it's just. It's so sad. And it is sad for the craft. But again, we would probably not be filmmakers in anywhere near the prolificacy we are if digital filmmaking hadn't existed and hadn't become so prevalent because of films like Attack of the Clones. So we're saying the Colosseum was pretty good narratively up until all the jedi turned up or i'm saying it was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm saying if i was to make edits to this film and we're going to take it as read that i would have someone competent come in and completely rewrite all of hayden christian's dialogue and then i would have someone else come in and direct all of the scenes with him and panama so we're taking that as read but the two things i would cut out of this film would be the computer game sequence and the Jedi arriving there. Because when the clones arrive, actually, that's pretty cool. I, I think seeing the clone army arrive, you're getting proto-stormtroopers showing up, but they're showing up as the good guys here, and it's giving Which real vibes... Which is narratively interesting. It's narratively interesting, but it's really giving vibes of something like Apocalypse Now, seeing these gunships come in and the way they're landing, people hanging out the, the side of them with their big machine guns, what have you. This has pure vietnam vibes which is i think is really important to the the wider context of star wars when the original trilogy was filmed you know it was filmed as you know in in part as a response to vietnam and what you have here is again spoiler alert people but in star wars the empire is the u.s in vietnam and what you're seeing here is the republic who is going to become the empire and they're operating like the u.s did in vietnam you know you've got these gunships landing like the Hueys did. You've got the stormtroopers, you know, running out, the, the way they behave. I think that is visually interesting. And I think even though it's almost entirely CG, it, it's not as jarring as the stuff with the Jedi Knights was. I agree. And I think the cl- there's not a single real clone trooper in this movie, is there? They're all CG. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that was one of the things. They never actually made any of this clone trooper armor. So when you get the cosplayers starting to try and reproduce it, they found Impossible. out you couldn't. Well, it, it was you, you couldn't get the uh, the, the top tier clearances of the five hundred first demand because it was physically impossible. So, haha. <laughs> I mean, obviously they built them since though, with um, especially when we got flashback sequences in things like Ahsoka and uh, Mandalorian. So. The clone trooper stuff happens, and then you have the Dooku, Anakin, and Obi Wan fight. I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog shows up. It's okay. Hayden Christian loses an arm, uh, and you have the Obi Wan fight and and all that. And I quite liked on the on the carrier, you had Obi. You, you know, Padme's knocked off, um, and Anakin wants to go after, her, and Obi Wan's like, "No, you can't." And he's like, "But I love her," and he's like, "No, you can't." I wish there was more of that. I wish there was more gravitas in that. I wish there was more realisation from Obi-Wan that Anakin did love Pab. Does that make sense? Well, it does. But also, um, uh, one thing here. uh, I mean, their mission was to protect Padme. I mean, that was the mission they were sent on. Apparently, it's crucially important that nothing bad happens to her for this vote. I mean, okay, yes, they're trying to stop Duke and stop this war. But they don't know what's going on in the wider politics outside of this moment. Uh, because uh, Yoda goes off and gets the, uh, the things on his own. He, he does it without the uh, authority of the Senate. It just happens that everything lines up because Jar Jar then uh, nominates those powers to the, uh, the Chancellor. <laughs> and Ian McDermott chews all the scenery and we love it. Oh, well, I do take this with, you know, it's just with a reservation I take this. I mean, I do still love everything with Ian McDermott in, in this film. He, he is still great. I mean, I feel we don't, we, we don't talk about the Ian McDermott stuff in this because it's good. It's the only bit that kind of has any... Do we ever see Count Dooku and Palpatine have a conversation? Yeah, at the very end. Oh yeah. When Don't he turns mind. up and he when he turns up and gives him the Death Star plans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of unnecessary stuff. <laughs> I know you want to talk about Disco Yoda. 
Oh, it's just, it's, it's stupid. I don't understand. <laughs> it's just stupid. Why? I mean, it was funny, I guess, because Yoda's this little old doddery man with a walking stick, and now he's like, yeah, 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 jumping round, super. I, I just feel like every time he land, every time he lands, I, f- I feel you should have had rings falling out, like in in, in Sonic, you know, and and just those sound effects. It, it robs Yoda of his dignity. <laughs> I mean, the prequels rob Yoda of any dignity that was ever yes. afforded him in the original series. We've already said that, and this is this is just silly and not in a fun silly way where i can forgive the the action video game sequence from earlier this is dumb in, mm-hmm. and but as a kid i loved seeing yoda jump around so <laughs> eh. fair enough um <laughs> well, i mean I, I i really like i mean that's the thing with dooku i i i feel that <laughs> there was a whole what's his deal is 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 he is he is he an out and out bad guy or is is he something that, you know? They they seem to drop that pretense at this point when he just whips out a red lightsaber. And at that point, you kind of know what what, what we got going on there. Um, I do like his lightsaber though. I, I like his uh, his curved scimitar esque hilt. <laughs> do you? I actually don't like it. No, that's two I mean, points of divergence in. <laughs> dun dun dun. Uh, I appreciate it's a different design. It's just not a design I particularly like. The end is disappointing on this film, I think, for me. It ends on a really bum note. Well, I, I think what they were trying to go for was that end of Empire moment, aren't they? I mean, they may have been going for that, but they don't hit it. No, no, they don't hit it. And and, and I think that's a recurring theme throughout this, is where they're going for. But, I mean, I mean the whole... It, it's, it's so utterly contrived, this trying to get an army to go to war, because the um the separatists want to leave you know nothing is made to kind of expand upon why they want to leave and i think that's a problem i know we said with the phantom menace yesterday if you pull at threads it starts to unravel the problem with this is there's already holes in it you don't even have to pull a thread the holes are already there and it just expands inevitably or irrequitably when you start pulling stuff um or start asking questions um but (laughs) I use plot when I talk about this movie very lightly because I think there is too much happening in it. We're trying to tell too many things. We're trying to move too many pieces to line up. It's already starting to suffer bloated canon problems, you know, and bloated connected universe situations already. And you're on film five. Or two, but yes. (laughs) But you get my point. Five films in and they're already struggling and they're already finding that they need to tie themselves together. Did we need the Death Star thing at the end? Could we not have just said there is words of a weapon? Ooh, mysterious. I don't don't think we needed to see the Death Star at all. And and to be perfectly honest, I wasn't thinking about that and it just just feels... (laughs) Feels cheap. Yeah, it does. I I feel it robs the Death Star of some of this. I told you about using the fucking member Berry memes. You stop it. But it's true though isn't it that's what they that's that's what it feels like they're trying to do i i, I think it it's just i i don't know if it was just uh, they got to that point and they're like oh well we need to remind people that this is building to you know star wars films that you invested in and then yeah. so so the end shot was was them getting married in secret on naboo wasn't it uh yes it was yep don't give a shit could not nope. give a shit nope. no one gives a shit it it, it feels like at least from a directing standpoint, everything that was wrong with Phantom Menace has just been expanded here, at least as far as the Anakin stuff goes. I think Obi-Wan comes off a lot better in this film than he did in The Phantom Menace. Uh, I would agree. Maybe it's, maybe it's because Ewan McGregor's been given a bit more leeway. You know, he's no longer in the shadow of Liam Neeson slash Qui-Gon there. I think, by and large, um, Natalie Portman comes across a lot better in this than uh, she did in the previous one. I mean, but she weirdly has less agency. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, she, she rescues herself. She's the one that decides to go and rescue um, Obi-Wan. She's the one who insists that because he's... Because um, Anakin's having the nightmares, they go to Tatooine together there. She, she never feels like she's the um, the passenger in this. She, she is very much um, central in all the decisions that go along there. And I, I, no, I'd, I'd say I think she has more agency in this than she did in Phantom Menace. Uh maybe I don't know it's just the problem is every time she's against you know up against Anakin in the scene there's just no there is no reality in which she would so I have a counter to that and that is people 
say it was intentionally that melodramatic. Their romance was meant to be that melodramatic. Obviously, we've mocked it. Everyone mocks it. If George Lucas created it intentionally to be this relationship, to be this melodramatic, both characters theoretically have good reasons to be awkward. You know, he's an ex-slave trained in isolation, prevented from interacting with normal people. And she is not hugely different. She's been subjected to duties of royalty, of leadership since her youth. You know, she is... They are both products of institutions and neither one of them is well adjusted other than the life of formality that they've had. So they have no way to express their feelings. I mean, it might be what he's going for, but it doesn't come across in the execution. It just comes across as extremely problematic, uh, more than a little cringe-inducing. I, I mean, the word didn't exist at the time, but, you know, it, it's it's incelly. And the, the other problem is, is that... Anakin is fairly consistent in all of his interactions with Padme and when he's speaking to her. He, he's relatively consistent in that characterization. Um, whereas with Padme, she isn't. There are moments when she is a, a, a perfectly competent, uh, confident, uh, professional senator who is, is confident in themselves and their abilities and in their body. And then seemingly randomly out of nowhere, she's there snogging Anakin and talking about how she, you know, can't get over, you know, how much she's grown. So you're saying it is not this framing of an innocent love story against the rise of fascism? I mean, it might be what he's going for, but he it doesn't carry off in the execution. No, there is there is there is no part of this that works for me. So you said you preferred this to Phantom Menace, but based on this discussion, I'm not feeling that you did prefer it to Phantom Menace. No. What I feel is I feel this is more narratively cohesive than The Phantom Menace, and I stand by that. I think, on the whole, this film is is a better overall story than Phantom Menace because it, it's it's easier to follow. It's, it's a spy thriller, and that's fine. There's some cringe-inducing moments in here. There's a couple of scenes which make no sense, but overall, I think this is a more cohesive story than The Phantom Menace. I also think it's more important to the wider story of Star Wars than The Phantom Menace was. Uh, is it good? No. Is it better than The Phantom Menace? I mean, it's kind of saying which STI would you prefer to have? So, to confirm, you're not saying this is a compelling political thriller? I am not, no. Not a war movie? No. I mean, the, the end is very... The, the, the second half of the final act is very much a Vietnam-esque war movie. But this film on the whole, for me, feels like a spy thriller. I feel like it could have been a spy thriller if it hadn't got bogged down with a weird love story. All of the Obi-Wan stuff is a the Obi-Wan stuff is all a spy thriller. But you know the tagline for this is 10 years after initially meeting Anakin Skywalker shares a rom- forbidden romance with Padma Amidala, Padme Amidala while Obi-Wan Kenobi discovers a secret clone army crafted for the Jedi. Oh, I didn't know that because I've never heard that before. The Disney Plus on that was where I watched it. It's the same. The romance between Anakin and Padme is always the front line. And the oh, second it's on the poster. Line, Look at the poster. <laughs> for me, they, they decided to make a love story in Star Wars and Star Wars is many things and could have been many things and a love story is definitely not what I ever thought it could be. Um, I, 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 I would... I, I think a certain scandal on the princess might take umbrage of that. But it is not... They fall in love in the story... And at the end, they get together, they say, I love you. But it is not their love story. This is not... The original trilogy is not their love story. Their love story happens alongside the story we're watching. It is part of yeah, the bigger story. Yeah, I agree story. with that. Look, love is, story in this is, is, is massively contrived. And, it, and the problem is as well is just Lord Lucas cannot write a love story to save his life. So are we done with Attack of the Clones? Can we close the VHS cassette, skip next and on launch it Disney into the sun. Plus? Yes, we can. <laughs> I have a question for you, Rachel. Oh, no. Have you ever heard of a tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Do you know what? You're really lucky we're recording these remotely because the pen <laughs> in my hand would have been launched at your face so fast. Good, good. Use your aggressive feelings. Do you know what? Take your weapon. After, after me watching down. this movie, I have no issue. I'm a Sith, straight out Sith. So much hate, so much anger. I welcome the dark side after this film. I'm, a, I'm irredeemable. <laughs> Give me yeah. the cool black robes and a red lightsaber. Yeah. Just to be clear, I am going to be insufferable with tomorrow's recording, and I make no apologies for it. Truly amazing. I'm really excited for a woman to have no agency and die because she's sad. But she's lost the will to live. 
<sighs> well, thank fuck she already produced children and that is a woman's only role in life, hey? There you go. Um, so yes, the uh, anger and, and, and he... hate does flow through me. I'm a Sith. I, I don't care. Attack of the Clones made me a Sith. Mm-hmm. Let's see what uh, Revenge of a Sith will do to you tomorrow. Uh, any, any final thoughts before we let people finally go about their day? Do you know what? If you still have turkey left, bin it. It's gone. It's done. Yes, it's over. We have the high ground. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Not until tomorrow. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you know what? I actually I'm, I'm, anything. Anything is better than what I've just watched. That's true. That's very true. Maybe that's why I love Revenge of a Sith because I knew there could be nothing worse than uh, Attack of the Clones. Um, so yeah, I think it's time for uh, for us to go. We can have a nice little montage of fading out, of uh, passing over some Death Star plans, or getting married. What would you prefer? Um, instead, I think I'm just going to state for the record that I don't mind sand. It's not that bad. 